A very warm welcome to the Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I'm the CEO and founder of Leaders Plus, an award-winning social enterprise dedicated to supporting leaders with babies and with young children to continue to progress their careers. All too often, new mums and dads tell me they feel they need to choose between their career aspirations and enjoying their young children. And I just think it shouldn't have to be this way. And it doesn't have to be this way. And that's why I set up a fellowship program for Leaders with Babies, which includes senior leader mentors, career development support, general support with work-life balance and so on. But I realized that actually the role models that we speak to on the program have so much more to offer and I want a wider group of people to be able to access them than can actually sit in the room during the fellowship program. So that's why I set up this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you find it useful. My aim is that you can take away some really practical tips as well as some inspirational food for thought to help you find the way that works for you in combining and maintaining your ambitious career aspirations whilst looking after your baby or toddler. A very warm welcome, Elizabeth, to the podcast. Fantastic to have you here today. The reason why I'm so delighted to have you is because the topic you're talking about, life admin or the lots of small things on your plate, speak to me. I've always seen myself as very ambitious, always had lots of dreams for myself and my family. But when I was walking around with my young baby in Lewisham Shopping Centre and I ended up suddenly getting all these additional tasks that come with having a preschooler, someone registering them for nursery, this, that and the other, it just seemed to spiral and it really spoke to me because I want to make sure that all these little things don't hold us from achieving our dreams and achieving our, our dreams career-wise and in our family. So very delighted to speak to you today. Well, I can just say... Um You know, I'm especially happy to be interviewed by you for this podcast because I I think it's just a a brilliant idea. I co-teach a course called Lawyer Leadership, Leading Self, Leading Others, Leading Change. And that dynamic between what we're doing inside and what we're doing outside is so vital to our success. And when you have a, a baby, for most of us, so much changes. It can feel like life turns upside down and so many people get derailed in their careers at that point. And I think a lot of the, the reason, I mean, of course, I think part of the reason is, is life admin, but I, I also think a lot of it is finding lifelines to help you get through this new wild world that you're in and to find ways to begin again, to just keep starting over, to keep coming back to your intention, to keep coming back to your purpose and your focus. And it sounds like this podcast is really going to be a a way for people to do that, a kind of lifeline um, to help people find their way to their purpose and keep starting over again and again so they can stick to it and get where they want to go while loving their family and showing up for their family. Mm, That's very powerful. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. That's brilliant. Very kind of you to say. Let's start a bit with your story. So you are obviously in a very senior role in your field. How did you get into that senior role and how are you managing your childcare responsibilities as part of that? Uh, So I teach law at Columbia in New York City. I did a PhD at at Cambridge, actually. I spent four years living in Cambridge uh, studying history and theory of sexuality. And then I went to law school um, back here in America 
and became very interested in discrimination and uh, bias. And so I've written then over the years as a law professor, lots of articles related to um, bias and discrimination and gender and disability, among other topics. And the current book is that I just published, um, Life Admin, The Art of Life Admin, as it's called in the UK, is my very first book, which is a really exciting moment and has been really an adventure and a whole new set of challenges and, and opportunities. But I really, the project really came out of my own life as a parent, as a, a mother, and trying to juggle and balance everything. Can I tell you the, the story of how it, it started? Yes, please. There was a moment after my second child was born when I realized that my mind was filled with all kinds of details and tasks and things to do and questions that I didn't have any idea were going to be part of parenthood. I, I began to realize this actually through my meditation practice, which I was meditating a lot less than I used to <laughs> um, before I was a parent. But when I would meditate, it would almost be aversive because I didn't want to know that my mind was filled with all these things. It, it, this wasn't how I wanted to live. And I thought at first that it was just me. Maybe I was just, you know, suffering in this way. And then I began to look around and I realized that in the couples that I knew, it seemed that even those who tried to divide up the work equally when there were two of them, it usually seemed that there was one partner who was doing this kind of invisible layer of office work on top of everything else. Um, and I had somehow ended up in, in that role in my marriage and I was surprised um, by it. And it wasn't what I thought parenting would be. You know, I knew there'd be diaper changing. I knew there'd be kind of stuff that was dreary and drudgery and not fun, as well as lovely, beautiful, joyful moments. But I just didn't have any idea there would be so much office work. You know, the kinds of stuff that managers and, and admins do in a, in a workplace but that, um, for pay, but that I was now doing in my own life invisibly and for free. One of the big surprises for me of this research, and as you, as you noted, I, I did interviews and held brainstorming sessions with people about admin because I didn't want to just write about me and the people I knew. <laughs> you know, I really wanted to understand this problem. And I really thought, though, that people would be pretty much the same around admin. I kind of thought probably most of us, we, we pretty much all hate it. And we're trying to find ways to get around it. And if I interviewed enough people, I would find like the magic one secret thing that the people who are really good at it do, and then that would solve it. And instead, what I was surprised to find was how different we are around admin, um, that we have different admin personalities. Um, so I write about that in, in the book and then wrote a kind of quiz with a psychologist colleague to try to make it operationalizable so people could try to figure out what their personality is. And also so you could bring, it, bring in people in your life who wouldn't otherwise be willing to read a book about admin, but might be willing to do the quiz to figure out their admin personality, because who doesn't love a quiz? Um, but I was really surprised to see that we have these different personalities, and then also that we have different, um, different kind of pleasures and pains around admin. And so some people's um, way of doing admin really doesn't work for someone else. Um, and that's something I, I, I've really tried to parse um, in the book. And so the first step, I think, is really understanding admin and then understanding ourselves in relation to admin. And I think that's what you were getting at with that inside of yours. What do you define admin as? Life admin is all the invisible office work that steals our time. It's 
both the managerial stuff of life, the decision-making side, and it's also the, the paperwork and the bill paying. Big life events, right, can come with tons of this work. You know, happy ones like a wedding or a baby, as we're talking about, but also really painful life struggles. Like if you're sick or your child has some unexplained ailment, right, these are, can be uh, huge um, kinds of life admin onslaughts, um, but that are generally not seen by anyone outside of it. And so I think of admin as is really the office work of life. People get paid well, and it's, it's understood to be a job in the office. Um, but at home, somehow, compared to chores, to cooking and cleaning, the more physical stuff of life, admin is often just not seen or appreciated in the same way. I know it's hard to generalize, but if you think of someone who's recently returned back to work, who has a very high-pressure job, it's difficult to do the life admin during the day. And then in the evening, as soon as he or she walks through the door, there's a screaming baby who just wants their attention and all you know there's not really that time and then by the time that baby's in bed if they actually stay in bed you're too tired to deal with all this admin so do you have any advice to make it less of a of a burden absolutely there are a range of practical ideas and strategies that one can use around admin and i'll share some of them with you now but i want to say first that the very first thing is just to realize that you're not alone and that this stuff is real and it's really hard and it's, and it's different in that because it's so information dependent, it's really hard to outsource it. It's not impossible under certain circumstances. Either some people do pay someone to do it if they can afford it or people can outsource it, you know, sometimes to people in, in their lives as a trade for other things. There are ways to, to hand it off, but it's really much harder to hand off. I mean, it's the reason that, but you can, you can come in someone else's house and do their dishes, which is a chore. But you can't make their grocery list, which is admin, because you have to know things and you have to know people. And so it really is an inevitable challenge, I think, especially at the beginning of parenthood when there's so much to learn about, about the babies about and about juggling things and their caregivers to manage. And so it, it really is that hard. It just really is that hard. And so I think the first thing is somehow just appreciating that. Um, and no one ever told me that, and I really wish they had <laughs> before I before I suffered so much through it. So that's the first thing. But then there are a lot of practical things that one can do, starting with giving up the idea that there's going to be a, a one magic tool or magic bullet and embracing a simple to-do list. So I was surprised by how many people had gone back to paper who I interviewed, keeping paper to-do lists. I know some people really prefer apps, and, and there are some good apps. I found in trying out lots of different apps over the last several years for research for my life and for this project that I often spent more time flexing with the apps than I found them to be useful in the end. Um, so people will share ideas about different apps and, and I do keep grocery lists in, in something like Wonderlist. I, I don't endorse any <laughs> particular products, but I'm just mentioning one that I, um, I have found uh, useful. But I often found, I again and again found that when I would try to put all of my information in a to-do list app, I would end up running into some hurdle, like it didn't sync with my computer, or things got lost in the syncing, or I couldn't share with my then partner, or that there was some kind of obstacle. And I would end up feeling like I had now spent a huge amount of time putting my life into this app and then abandoning it. Um, so for me, that isn't the best, but this is actually one of the differences between us Two is that some people really prefer high-tech methods and some people really prefer, prefer old-school methods. 
And it's not always the same across contexts. I interviewed a woman who was an unbelievable super doer personal assistant to a super doer uh, politician and his wife. And she was their executive assistant. So she did everything at work for them in their lives and at work. And she was a master at all of it. And she did it all in this very high tech way. And she said when she came home to her child, she was a single parent, she had a whiteboard on the wall and she had paper to do lists and she just loved letting go of the technology. It made her feel like having those old school methods made her feel like in her life with her daughter, they had a quieter kind of simpler existence. And for her, that was meaningful. And you know, and that's where the values come in um, is that we're making choices about our values. But the first thing to do, I think when you're in that total overwhelm is to just make a simple list and give up on the idea that you're gonna find something uh, perfect and as often as you can to just bypass the list altogether and take care of things in real time. So when someone asks me now for a referral, you know, do I know a dentist? I will text it to them while they're standing there in the moment so that they can tell me their number, they can ask any questions and we get it all done and they have the information and then it never lands on my to-do list at all. And that's been a huge relief for me in just letting go of putting things on the list in the first place. The other thing I want to pick up on is the outsourcing element. Now, obviously, with our fellows, our Leaders Plus fellows, um, who've all recently had children and are all really ambitious in, at their work, that comes up again and again, the need to outsource and trying to find help as much as you can, both unpaid if you're lucky enough to have family nearby, as well as paid, let, let's say, you know, babysitting to see your partner or actual practical practical help cleaner etc but also that involves admin and usually that falls to one person who started doing that particular admin thing do you have any reflections on that anything that has come out from your interviewees yes i'm so glad you asked that so i have been really stunned to realize and there's some data to support this and i've seen it also practically by the way that outsourcing of household labor can actually lead to, in some ways, a more unequal distribution if you're in a household with two partners, even if there's now less overall work for everyone, it can end up that one person is doing more of the work that exists. And I think it's a major source of resentment in a lot of couples where both partners are working really hard and they think, oh, what a great solution. You know, we'll just outsource a lot of things. You know, we'll outsource as much as we can. I think there was an article years ago called Outsource Your Life in the New Yorker. You know, and so you just will find someone to clean. We'll find someone who to deal with the pickups and the drop-offs. And then if we can, maybe we'll even find someone, you know, we can find someone to cook some of the meals. And then we'll solve the problem. And what it, it really looks like is that, interestingly, and this is a complex problem, and I, I try to lay it out clearly in the book, and I'll, I'll try to give a glimpse of it here. But what seems to happen is that for traditionally masculine household tasks in male-female couples, the man is more likely to do the underlying task, you know, fixing something in the home. He's also, if it's outsourced, slightly more likely to manage the outsourcing of that, to do the admin of calling the fix-it person. But the woman is more likely to get involved than she was before once it's outsourced. Okay, so we notice if we outsource the quote-unquote masculine tasks, then the woman's more likely to be involved than she was before in a male-female couple. Okay, now, if you talk about the quote-unquote feminine tasks, the things that women more often do and are more associated with women, childcare, cooking, cleaning, 
she's more likely to do those tasks if they're physical chores at home. If they're outsourced, she's even more likely to do them um, than she was before. So for both kinds of tasks, the woman is more likely to do the outsourcing than she is to do the underlying task. And so you could have a couple <laughs> that decides that they're gonna outsource and now they have a lot less overall work to do. And he's thinking, wow, this is great. You know, we must be happier now because we have less work to do. And she's thinking, but now all of it's on me because she's the one who's managing, finding the people, communicating with the people, paying the people. You know, the scheduling alone can just be a complete nightmare. And then they cancel. And then often it means that whoever's in charge of scheduling becomes the person who's the fallback person when they cancel because the, she's the contact person when they cancel, which means she has to do the scrambling to find backup care problem too. And then one part of outsourcing no one ever talks about is after people leave, they want references, which is important to them. And that's understandable. That's really important work, I believe. But it takes time, but it's utterly invisible. And so outsourcing itself can be a kind of trap. I don't mean that I recommend against it, but unless you're really careful about it, you can really end up with, I think, even more tension in a relationship than you had before the outsourcing. That is so interesting. And, and it really corresponds, I hope my partner won't me say, uh, mind me saying, but we are having this debate at the moment in our household, whether or not to get a cleaner. Uh, well, and you have a, can I, if I may say, you, you have a wonderful opportunity if you're right at the moment of deciding whether to do it, jointly deciding whether to do it, because, and if your partner is, is keen to do it, is that what you said? No, no, no he's actually, he is more on the side of he, he wants us to clean. Because it's good for oh, our he wants you guys it's, it's, to for, do it's, it. it's apparently very good for his physical health to do hoovering, etc., which I'm sure is oh, true. Oh, <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. Well, so it's still though you do have this opportunity at the moment where you're deciding about about how you do it if you do it. In in many situations um, that I have heard, the partner who was keen to do it doesn't end up being the one who ends up managing it. So I interviewed a woman whose husband really wanted them to get a cleaner way back when. And she didn't think it was a good idea for a range of reasons, but he basically said, I'm just not, I'm not willing to put the time into that. And they decided to get a cleaner. And she, ever since, before the cleaner comes, she goes and buys special food for the cleaner's lunch. And then she talks to the cleaner about the cleaner's problems. And it takes up, it sounds like half her day when the cleaner comes. And I don't mean to laugh at her at all because I think to her it's valuable. She cares about this person and she cares about caring for the person who works in her home. And that's a matter of values. We all make our own choices. Some people never want to see their cleaner and some cleaners don't ever want to see the person that they, they whose house they clean. Um, but for someone who cares about it, that's something to know too. That's a difference is whether one, how one feels about those relationships and the relational side of it. But in any case, she's ended up putting so much time uh, into this and he was the one who wanted them to do it. And my hope is if, if she had started thinking about admin before, she would have been able to say to him, okay, if you really wanna do this, then it's gonna be yours to manage. You know, you can find the person and then also you can manage when they come and then you can pay them. And then, you know, you can pay the taxes or do the payroll or whatever. And you're the one to write the letter because you'll know the person if you're the one who wants mm -hmm, to do it. Mm -hmm. It's a little harder in your situation where you're the one who wants well, to do actually, it. Well, actually, so basically yeah. it would be really, you know, well, you're telling that you're giving some really good advice to my partner to make me do, do the admin side of it, which is probably the right, the right, the right thing. But I do hope that he doesn't listen to this, <laughs> this podcast now. <laughs> well, but it also depends on how you divide other things. I mean, one of the things, since we're getting into the issue of relationships, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is 
people have been, I think, hearing me to say, especially in interviews, as opposed to if they read the book, that I think maybe we should just divide up the admin 50-50, or that I think that's an important thing is divide up admin 50-50. And I don't have that view. I mean, how, much, how people divide things up in their homes, of course, is their own choice no matter what. But even if you were trying to, to get at some kind of equality or, or fairness in the home, it's not clear to me you would divide the admin 50-50. It might be that one partner really cares about how a certain number of things are done in a way that's completely time consuming or is better at the admin side or, you know, there, there could be a range of reasons. And also it's often in a male female couple, the woman is being hit with all the stuff from the school, even if the, even if the couple puts out to the school to contact both of them or to contact him. I have, I had so many people tell me about getting birthday party invitations sent only to the mom. But so sometimes she's just getting it hit with it anyway. But there is a choice, too, to make a trade around admin. So I don't know about in your household, but it seems to me that in a lot of households, the woman is doing more of all the, of the cooking, cleaning, and childcare, and then she's doing most of the admin, and that there are trades that could be made because that data on outsourcing has a bright spot, which is it does seem that many men are more willing to do the actual spending time with the kid or actual doing of laundry or dishes than they are willing to do the admin. And so it might be that in, in, I don't know about your household, but in some household, if somebody wants to do the cleaning, then he should do the cleaning. And if you're doing a whole lot of admin, then you'll sit on the couch taking care of all that paperwork and insurance stuff or school forms or whatever it is while he does the cleaning on Sunday morning. And that's your routine. Um, you know, there could be to make it, it's also a way to make it visible to say, like, I have all this stuff we have to, we have the whole packet of school forms from the school. How about tonight you cook dinner and you clean it up. And during that window, I'll be sitting at the kitchen table doing all these forms. And then we'll both be getting stuff done and you'll see that I'm actually doing it in that window. So you'll understand that I'm not, it's not invisible. It's actually visible now. So I just think it's worth noting that there are kind of trades that you can make in a kindly way um, too, once you see this. And if in an ideal world, you can get your partner to see it as real. Absolutely. And using each other's strengths and interests rather than just having a dogmatic, dogmatic approach. I love that. What you said also made me think about this concept of the mental load. Uh, and not so much, I know there's this debate about who carries the mental load in a relationship, especially when there are children involved, as in mental load being the list of things to do rather than just doing them, but just remembering what needs to get done. And I'm interested in something I'm hearing a lot from uh, some of our fellows is that they really want to be present. They want to be at work. They want to enjoy work and talk about work. Uh, when they are with their children, they want to be with their children. Uh, and obviously that mental load is something in the background that can creep into that. Do you have any reflections on how to make sure that the admin stuff stays in the admin folder of your life? Maybe that's impossible, but what, what do you think about that? It's really hard. It's a really hard issue, I think, because in my own life, I have some of the time felt very frustrated when I felt like I'm with my kids, but I'm not even really getting to be with my kids because instead I'm doing all this admin related to my kids. And, you know, some of the time, I don't know, the, the babysitter is going to be late or the babysitter is suddenly canceling and it's the morning and we're trying to get ready for school and now there's not going to be an after school pickup and I'm texting it. And some of the time it has to happen in real time. <laughs> I mean, there are just parts of this. I, I sometimes call bombardment admin. <laughs> um, it's the stuff that just bombards you all the time. And if you're the point person for those issues and they're time sensitive, then there really isn't much of a choice. 
Um, and it can be all well and good to say, ah, clear your mind and, you know, focus and be mind mindful and present and only do one thing at a time. I, I run a mindful parenting group at my, my children's school. And one of the things I talk about is that I think that parents of young children need a lot of different things from mindfulness than we often teach about mindfulness. You know, that a friend of mine likes to say the Buddha classically uh, left his family um, <laughs> to, become the, to become the Buddha. It's yeah. not clear that he has it all. He had it all figured out yeah, for yeah, people yeah. With, with small children. And so one of the things that I think is misguiding and even sometimes shaming for people who've been educated in kind of a mindfulness tradition is the idea that you should just do one thing at a time. I mean, if you, have, if you have two children and you're in the supermarket, or even if you just have one child and you're in the checkout line at the supermarket and you're only doing one thing at a time, you're going to lose a child. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, that's not a good idea. And so the idea, I, I think partly giving ourselves a break that there are times when we have to be doing the admin while we're also with our kids, and then to recognize how frustrating that can be. And then, yes, to look for alternatives. So including that you know, some of the things we've been talking about, about handing off um, some of the, the real-time admin, you know, that someone actually can take on the role of a of, of point person um, for bombardment admin, but also just trying to find a way to check in and realize, like, is this a moment when I can, for me anyway, it's put down my phone and put it away. And maybe this, it isn't a moment anymore where I have to continue. The emergency may be over mm -hmm. <laughs> or there isn't an emergency right now. And that being able, willing and able to put the phone away um, in those moments can really help. And so to me, there are two sides. You know, one is not feeling so bad when it needs to be done. Um, and then also being willing to say, okay, this, this is a moment um, when I want to step away and I can step away. And, and then even noticing my own tricks with myself, because sometimes I don't really want to step away um, from the work or the life admin or my phone as representing both things. And sometimes it's because something is happening that's a little challenging. You know, like my kids, I now have, my kids have two homes. And when they're transitioning from their other home that first day, they're often really a little agitated. You know, just that, that transitional first few hours can be a little challenging. And I'll notice in myself the impulse to reach for my phone. I can tell sometimes it's actually an impulse to, to get away, to kind of escape. Like I don't, and then I'll think what's happening that I don't want to be here for. <laughs> and then, and then I'll think, okay, I don't think I actually need to do that thing in my phone right now. I'm going to show up instead and just kind of like hold on to the mast and, and ride this wave of emotion that, that we're all having. I don't know if that makes any sense. When you do have a rare half an hour and you get lots of stuff done, but then, you know, there's there's another call coming in or this, that and the other. Everybody says the one thing you learn as a parent is to multitask. I don't think I have personally uh, achieved that. But what what is your view on that? Do, should we embrace multitasking or should we try to strive for just focusing on one thing? I think that some kind of multitasking is a necessity of being a really hands-on parent who has you know, work and other priorities in addition to parenting and even just parents of any sort. I, I just think it involves multitasking of sorts um, some of the time. That said, I think that it can become hard to make conscious choices about how we spend the time we do have. So it can be really hard when you're having, you suddenly have a half an hour and you were used to having seven hours. So I can say this as a writer, say, <laughs> I mean, you used, I used to be able to just have hours that went on and on and on day after day. And I remember when my kids were 
when I first had a new baby, I mean, to be given, to a half an hour was a long time. And yet, what can you do in a half an hour? And it was tempting to have everyone else's priorities take over that half hour. And I still find it now. My kids are nine and, and six. So I have found that for me, relying on um, other people and kinds of peer support actually really helped me. Recognizing how hard it is. I have been doing a lot with what came to be called in my research admin study hall. So a brainstorming group I did at a women's gym involved a series of sessions of discussing admin across topics, relationships, and, and so on. And at the end, everyone wanted to get together to do our admin side by side. We kept talking about how isolated this activity is usually, and that's part of what's difficult about it. And so we decided to have what one of the participants in the group called admin study hall, and the name stuck. And I started doing this uh, with friends on Zoom, on video conference, scattered sometimes around the world, um, who also had admin to do. And then quickly, actually, it became a space for just being intentional about priorities of whatever sort. So I would schedule an hour on Zoom with a friend. And when we show up, we sometimes would meditate or check in, say a word or two about how we were, and then we would set our intentions for what we're gonna do in that period of time. And some one person might be doing admin and one person might, in terms of catching up on emails. Someone, I just had a study hall with someone yesterday who she'd just been on a long trip. What she just wanted to do was like tackle her inbox. That was her goal. And for me, I was trying to write something. So we just set those intentions and then we check back in with each other in a little while. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, just when you said about, you know, you obviously have to schedule that Zoom call. You're a professor at Columbia, so I presume you'll be dealing with students, lots of teaching, uh, lots of pressure to write and publish, lots of work. And then you've got your home life as well. How do you schedule your friendships and also your professional networking? Because that takes work, doesn't it? And yet it's so important for our own well-being. But also if we want to get ahead in our career, we need to keep engaged in networking activities. Yes, that's a great question. One of the things I do lately is I try to schedule whatever dates I'm going to have to have conversations with people, you know, that would have been lunches, I feel like in the old days, I schedule as either walking dates, like we're, let's walk outside, grab an iced tea and, and walk for a little while and talk, or as yoga classes, like I'll meet someone at yoga. I mean, this is for, for friends or for, you know, people who are um, I'll, you know, I'll say to someone, which sounds good to you. And it depends. Obviously, all of this depends on how professional the relationship is or how personal it is. But I try to pair the getting together with some kind of activity that is also some kind of form of self-care or something I'm trying to do or even to get myself to go. You know, my mother and I um, occasionally manage to go to the theater these days. And it's a way to, I mean, I mean a couple of times a year, but I just mean that's our like special event because it's something I wouldn't do otherwise. So I try to be thoughtful about how to make those kinds of, I mean, my mother is not a networking event, but a, you know, social slash thoughtful uh, events or work events, or sometimes obligatory events into something that can not take more time than it needs to and be, be well spent on something that I think is a good activity. The nice thing about a walk is that it usually doesn't have a definite time frame. When you go to lunch, people schedule it's gonna be at least an hour. It feels weird to leave after a half an hour at lunch, that's odd. Um, but, but on a walk, you can both go for a walk, you get a little exercise, you get to talk and the movement I think is good for people. So I think that's just one idea that I have found useful 
the last couple of years, keep up that networking space. And then I try to keep a slot in my calendar that is where I can have appointments. And then otherwise, I just will say I don't have time for in-person. I don't have in-person meeting times that week. And so we can schedule further out. But because for me, I need a lot of quiet time for my work and a lot of focus time uh, as much as I can. I am both trying to make room for those things, but also limit the space. And so having a window in the week, like, or two windows in the week, here's when these meetings can take place, both helps make room for it and helps contain it. That makes a lot of sense. And when you do have those quiet times and you do have unexpected interruptions, obviously sometimes you can manage it and at other times you don't. How do you deal with that? One thing I've done to try to reduce those unexpected interruptions is I have worked on trying to do more outsourcing of the admin that goes along with, say, taking care of my kids mm -hmm. or any kind of help I do get. For instance, we, we do have someone who comes in and helps clean once a week. And I talked to her about her, her she brings her own supplies. And, I, and that isn't what she's always done. But I said, how about you buy your own supplies and I'll reimburse you, you just bring a receipt. And then she can pick the supplies that she actually wants to use, which actually makes a lot of sense. She, she knows when they run out. Um, I mean, in the past, I've been in the situation where someone, you know, the person would be saying, oh, we're out of X. And I don't even know what X is. Mm -hmm. So I would take a picture of X, like the, the vacuum bags. So I take a picture of the vacuum bag container and then order it off of Amazon. But I'm not the one who had the most information. And so having the person who has the most information. And so in the case of I'm, have, I'm lucky right now, my mom helps some with my kids. And my mom, it, I love the fact that she really cares how I want things done. She really cares about my preferences. Um, but I've learned to have fewer preferences. Um, so that what their snack is, I just really empowered her to, to decide what their snack is and to make choices about those things. And then when she makes a choice I don't like, I have to live with it, <laughs> you know, and and come to terms uh, with that. And, you know, when I have a babysitter pick up my kids after school, when in the best circumstances I've arranged at times, the babysitter brings the snack. You know, and I may pay the person a little extra to pick up the snack in addition to paying for the snack because their time is valuable too. But they could bring the snack. And that's an area where I'm willing to give up some control in those moments. Now, for some people who are foodies and the food is the most important thing to them, they just wouldn't be willing to give that one up. But that's one where I feel like I, I can live with that one. And so I use the idea of the admin personalities. So the admin avoider is one of the admin personalities. And sometimes I just try to imagine myself as an admin avoider. But what would an admin avoider do? And then I see, can I live with it? You know, if I make that choice, if I avoid this admin, can I live with it? Okay, I can live with this one. Then that's a ball I can actually drop. And is there anything else that you found in your research that you think, right, people who have very young children and who have the life environment of very young children really should know or should think about? One thing is that you can begin to teach your kids to do some admin <laughs> at a very low level and starting at a pretty young age, not little tiny babies, admittedly, but my younger child is six. It's been a couple years now that I have, since I have begun to bring in ways for them to not just do the task that they're supposed to do at home, like clear their plate at the table, but remember to do their task, um, like clear their plate. Oh, or here's actually a good example of where my dropping a ball sometimes can lead to other people picking it up usefully. By the way, Tiffany Dufu's book, Drop the Ball, I think is a really wonderful book on this as well. And she has some great stories 
about ways she found to, to drop certain balls. But so for me, I found last year, I would forget sometimes to pick up, there's a, a farm share, you know, where the, because we live in the city, but where it was a fundraiser at the school, but also you would get a, a group of, you know, fruits and vegetables and fresh eggs once a week. Um, and I have to remember to pick it up after school when I picked up my kids on Wednesdays. And I forgot a couple of times so that we had to go back. We'd already left school and we had to turn around and go back. One time we got, we'd walked almost all the way home. We had to go all the way back to get the, the farm share. And this was frustrating and irritating, but then it turned out that my kids started to remember. So the younger one, in fact, would say, the farm share, we have to remember the farm share. And I'd say, oh, and then I started, I, I brought in this idea of the remembering dance. <laughs> so when one of them would remember, I'd say, oh, we have to do the remembering dance. That's so fabulous. And then we would all do like just a very quick little dance party <laughs> um, in the school hallway before we went down to get the, the farm share. But it was a way to start to encourage them to, to learn and appreciate them for learning. But it was also to me a nice story about how the fact that that was a moment where I didn't have it all together was one where they were starting to take ownership of, of something. And so I think there are more opportunities for that. And usually when, when, when you're little, little, little kids, if you're fortunate enough to have a partner or two, then your partner's the one who miraculously, sometimes when you drop balls, actually does pick them up and turns out to be able to, to do them. And um, there's a thing called that I call strategic ball, ball dropping, where uh, partners will sometimes, uh, whether consciously or unconsciously, but in but seem to intentionally do things badly. <laughs> and it is like a little test, you know, to see I have one woman I interviewed, who said that her, her husband finally said he would do some grocery shopping to try to even things out. They have really little kids. So he, she would give him the grocery list because she did the, the admin part of it, but he was going to do the chore of going grocery shopping. And then he lost the grocery list, not once, not twice, but three times. And each time he would then call her while she was working to get, to ask her to reconstruct the list for him. And she called it the disappearing grocery list problem. <laughs> um, and she really, for her, she chalked it up to, you know, the fact that this was for him, not something he'd ever seen his father do, you know, and it was not something he'd ever really done himself <laughs> was grocery shopping. And he was kind of resisting it in some way. And, you know, there's a, a choice at that point, uh, I think, about whether to kind of just give in, whether to try to, whether to, take, to pick up the ball, you know, and if you pick it up and just do it again, then the person learns that their strategic ball dropping works. Having, I, I talk a lot in the book about different kinds of conversations that we can have about admin and how to have them. And, and there are ones that we can have that are very short and I think are quite possible and that can help uh, with some of that. But it really does, having anyone um, step up um, and take over, you know, can, can really make a difference. But when we're on our own, we just have to know that it's, it, it's real. It's really real and, and we're not alone. I would like to ask you for a couple of very concrete uh, suggestions, or, or I guess you've, you've already talked about a lot about concrete suggestions, but a couple of two to three really practical things that someone who is ambitious in their career, who wants to enjoy their work, but also wants to make sure that life admin doesn't take over the home life. Two to three concrete things that someone listening to this podcast can implement. One thing to do is to take photos of information, but also videos of information. Uh, so someone just yesterday was 
giving me a sample of a facial peel to try out that she had made. And she was explaining to me how to use it. To be honest, this is the kind of thing that often ends up in the back of my toiletries cupboard and I'll, I'll never get to it. But she started explaining to me how to use it. And I, um, I, I stopped her because I realized even though it was not that difficult, I was never going to remember it. And then it would mean I really wouldn't use it. And so I made a video of her explaining how to use the thing. And so now I can just play that back to myself. And there are all kinds of information we can capture in that way. And then we have it later. A lot of people now take photos of where they park their car, or you can take photos of permission slip forms and email them to people. But you can also take videos to capture and then transfer uh, information. And if you do it for someone who's helping you out also, then they keep having the information and you don't have to keep repeating it. Another very detail-oriented suggestion is to find people who are nodes of information on any given admin subject when you're facing it and go to them with questions. And this is particularly true if you're facing, you know, some kind of challenging onslaught. You know, your kid has, turns out, has, has some kind of um, developmental challenge and you need to now tackle that. You know, find the person who's dealing with this and don't just ask them for concrete details, but ask them how they handled the situation, um, how they kept track of things, what do they wish they'd known before they actually started the whole endeavor. And then when you have to face some admin and you really just have to sit down and do it, see if it's possible to connect to the meaning of the admin, because admin's really embedded often in our values and in things that matter to us. And so when I'm doing, say, payroll things related to someone who helps take care of my kids, I really try to remember how grateful I feel that this person is in my life and does a wonderful job and how fortunate I am to be able to pay the person well enough and to have that relationship and have them take care of my kids. And so those are some very concrete things. But the big picture thing, though, is really to see admin, make it visible in your life, understand it, and really understand yourself in relation to it. Because as I say, we are all different. And so we have to understand the, the texture of it and of ourselves in order to, to do it uh, well. And it's a bonus if you can get others in your life to understand it uh, too. That really makes a difference. Mm, absolutely. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Edmonds. It's been really good to talk to you. And thank you for this insight and hopefully continue the conversation at another point. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.